Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world. From current events and trends, through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. Hello, and welcome to another edition of RazorWire. Today, we are going to be talking about the cybersecurity skills shortage, what it means, what we're experiencing at the moment, maybe ways we can fix it, what to expect. If you're a budding information security professional or an information security professional wanting to be an information security professional and maybe early on in your career, this is the kind of stuff that we're seeing and maybe some of this will be of, of interest. And for those of you who are more seasoned information security people, Maybe it will be of interest to to find out maybe a little bit more about why you can't get high quality, high paid cybersecurity people or professionals. So I am joined today by Josh Davis and Keith Christie Smith. Josh, do you want to say hello? Sure. So yeah, good to be back on. Uh, Josh Davis, former security analyst, used to be involved in incident response and, and threat hunting activities. Currently now working as a product manager for AlertLogic, but still going to be quite closely involved in the, the security analyst side of things, um, even if it is more at arm's length. So just brief bit of AlertLogic, manager detection response company, over 4,000 customers, and, and as of now, known as Fortra by AlertLogic, as we look to combine with uh, the likes of Cobalt Strike and Digital Guardian and and um, people in the in Agari and the email vendor space. So we're really expanding uh, beyond just MDR. Fantastic. And Keith? Hi, James. Thanks for having me on again. Keith Christie-Smith. I'm working for a company called Clarity, sales director. I look after our government, public sector, healthcare and defense customers. Um, so pretty broad section of, uh, of verticals to cover there. Very briefly about Clarity. Clarity is an OT, IoT, and what we call an XIoT, so extended IoT, so to encompass all of those acronyms. We offer cybersecurity solutions to organisations in healthcare, you know, public sector, government, defence. Great to be here today, and hopefully, I can share some of my over a decade now experience in the cybersecurity industry and and what I've come across in all that time. So yeah, good to be on again. Fantastic. So the cyber skills shortage, let's go into a little bit of history. I'll start. Yeah, it's been a bit of a funny history uh, when it comes to cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is uh, it's not a recent thing. Uh, cybersecurity has been around for many, many years. But comparatively, so you, you know, 25 years ago when I got into it, it was a very, very different landscape than it is now. It was a bit more, a bit more of a wild west, most definitely. It was very predominantly kind of governed in the IT side of things. There was a few people who kind of when it, who were doing governance at the time, but we, you know, we didn't have ISO, we didn't have PCI DSS, we didn't have any of the kind of compliance models that you have now. BS seven seven nine nine was probably the one of the earlier ones. Uh, that talked about certain certain parts of governance, but it, it's been refined over the years. Fast forward to, to today, and the information security space has has expanded quite exponentially from what it originally was, where it was predominantly people looking after firewalls, AV, you know that kind of thing. Nowadays, there's a whole host of different areas of infosec that you can get into from pen testing through to kind of security advisory, compliance, cybersecurity, cyber warfare, phishing, 
the, the list is next to endless these days. We've always experienced a bit of a shortage of people. Uh, in the, in the, go back 10 years, maybe it was predominantly because people either didn't want to get into InfoSec or that it wasn't really that well known. A lot of people at that time wanted to get into IT and become part of this kind of massive movement towards a, a technologically sort of like built world where, where everything is governed by the technology that we use. Uh, security was kind of the non-sexy big brother of that. Nowadays, that's a very different environment. And one of the things, you know, we need to do, kind of mention beginning of this is we've just come out of the pandemic. There's a lot of people who've had a lot of time to think about where they're going and the careers that they have. Maybe they're sidestepping into a different career. Maybe that you're a uni student who has, um, you know, spent a lot of time not quite doing as much of the uni stuff as you should, you know, as you, as you feasibly could have been doing. There's a lot of people now from a lot of different fields trying to get into InfoSec. You know, InfoSec. I've met lawyers. I've met insurance people. I've met obviously the, the, the more traditional technological sort of skill set people looking to get in. And it's, it's quite a big one for ex-military as well. People coming out of the military, you know, a lot of the skills are cross-trainable and they've, you know, especially they come from the intelligence side of things. They, they would have experienced quite a bit that, that, that we do in the commercial side of InfoSec. So let's start with the obvious question, really. Is there a skills shortage? Who wants to go first? Go on then. Very much so. And to for probably all the reasons you've just mentioned, the fact that there are now so many different facets to cybersecurity. You know, when I was started dealing with cybersecurity a long time ago, I won't say how, how long ago it was, because I'll be giving my age away. But, you know, it was uh, very much referred to as information security in those days. Um, and it's since morphed into a completely different beast than it, you know, it started out as. And I think because of that, um, and because people are really focusing and honing in on a specific skill, that has meant that there are gaps that have been left in, in other parts of cybersecurity. I mean, from a, that's right the way through from a, an analyst perspective, um, through to pre-sales, through to from sales, through to pen testers, et cetera. So, you know, in, across the, I think across the board, I heard a worrying statistic um, of a very large number of, you know, in terms of the gap between the number of uh, cybersecurity professionals that we have today in the UK and where we actually need to be to fulfill all of those roles. And that, that was quite a big number. Now it's probably changed. But I would imagine there's still, you know, certainly from my experience, there's a there's a big gap, and it's something that we see in our in our organisation um, in Clarity today. You know, getting hold of the right resources um, at the right point in time is always is always the biggest challenge, and I would imagine that's probably the same. You know, we were just talking, James, um, before before we started recording about about your organisation and trying to find the right people at the right time. You know, it's a it's an issue across the board, and that's really amplifying what we're seeing. You know, from from a salaries perspective and 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 what people are looking for out of out of these roles as well. Uh, I totally agree with Keith. Yes, there definitely is a skill shortage. You see that to almost everybody you talk to. Um, and having been you know, a security analyst and being on the other side of it, it's crazy how quickly your inbox fills in with these fantastic offers of, of 
of wage amounts that you think surely that can't possibly be right, and then you get kind of pushed towards you know applying for something. So it's it's, it's super competitive for the, the people that are there. And I, I did a little look digging into some some stats to back this up because I think we all know the, the feeling. And you know, Keith, you mentioned there's a big numbers, and um, the ISC said there's about 4.7 million cybersecurity professionals at the moment, and that's that's an all-time high. So it's growing, but yet the 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 gap or the, the vacancies that are still left to fill are somewhere between 1.8 and 3.4 million. Um, so you can see that people aspirationally are really, uh, organizations rather aspirationally are really understanding, look, we need to invest in cybersecurity and understanding that that doesn't just mean tools anymore. Uh, 10 years ago, it was probably buy all the, the best tools you can. And that's my cybersecurity investment done. We need people to, to, to actually get derived value from these and work for our organizations. Um, so maybe that's why we've seen the increase in, in RECs as well. But then when you don't have the ability to, to satisfy with the exact specification that you put out there, you end up seeing IT admins wearing multiple hats, you know, dipping into a little bit of firewall monitoring, um, doing a bit of log analysis. Um, and ultimately, that's just kind of an unfeasible position to be in where uh, they'll never really be able to do a good enough job. And yet, they'll still have the fingers pointed to them um, if something does you know, go horribly wrong down the line. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, Keith kind of mentioned it before we kind of came on. We were having a, a you know, brief discussion as, as most of the time, you know, we would do. I mean, I'm definitely experiencing that and I'm, I'm experiencing a, a, a lot of people who are very underqualified for roles, um, trying to go for very high amounts of money that you would normally pay to somebody with, a, you know, at least a medium level of experience. And it's, it's a weird, change from what it was like 10 years ago you know security people were vastly underpaid we were always part of the it department nobody really cared they did well they did care but as as josh you pointed out you know a lot of individuals um, in business thought that it was some cool technological tools that could deal with their security and and then they didn't know you know need so much the people and i think it's taken a long time for the business world to wake up and realize that, yeah, you can have all the cool tools in the world, but it's not going to save you. You need to have a little bit more to your bow. You know, you need to have good policies. You need to have good procedures. You need to have somebody to be able to respond to events. You know, it's all very well having tools that can tr protect you. But, you know, ultimately, when you do experience a breach, like most companies will do at some point or another, if you don't have the skill set to to be able to handle that kind of breach, then you know you're you're shooting in the dark. You're not you're not going to handle it particularly well. Uh, potentially, the breach is going to be worse than it needs to be, and sometimes that recovery is either non-existent or it just dies a death eventually, or you start end up spending money in areas that you really don't need to. The amount of the amount of organisations I come across even today who've paid out for very, very cool tools, but they still haven't actually started really using them. They've kind of installed them and just left them there. And, you know, they haven't tuned them, especially things like IDS, IPS. And they think that, oh, we've got the tools, so it's going to protect us. And it's like, well, is anybody looking at the logs? Is anybody actually actioning anything that they've got coming out of it? Are you kind of getting rid of the false positives? It's it's a bit of a funny sort of mix, and and one of the things that that I definitely think I think that's that's had an effect is during that pandemic time we saw ransomware go absolutely crazy. The malicious actors were were, were undertaking a lot of different attacks. They knew that 
you know, the, the world in general was experiencing quite some quite significant difficulties. And if you're watching this many years down the line, then just look back at, you know, the last couple of years and, and the, the, the COVID pandemic and you'll, you know, I'm sure you'll get a lot more data than we had at the time. But, you know, there was a lot of people who suddenly realized that a career in cybersecurity is absolutely the best way to go. You know, people are always looking for more money, more opportunities, that kind of thing. And, and security at the moment, its star is, you know, rising very, very high in the business world. Um, it'd be interesting to see how this one pans out. And I think that, that before the pandemic, we had quite a few people starting to come into InfoSec. Um, but there's been a big stall since the pandemic kicked off and the lockdowns happened. That was here, that was states, that was all over the world. All of a sudden, you know, people weren't being trained or mentored um, because a lot of people were sitting on their laurels. And I know a lot of old-time security people who, like me, or maybe even older than me, I'm not that old just yet, they saw what it was like to... to forgo the world of the working security professional and the horrors that sometimes you have to deal with uh, and realize that sitting in the garden and looking after your, looking after your uh, flowers and your vegetables is eminently, eminently much better once you've been dealing with InfoSec for, for 30, 40 or however many years. And the unfortunate truth I think I personally believe is that, that those guys have not really had a chance to pass their skill sets on and their wisdom on of how to handle security. So we've got a lot of people coming in who are crying out for mentoring and crying out for information on how do I become an InfoSec person? What do I need to do? What skills do I need to have? And they're not necessarily getting the answers as easily as feasibly they were just before the pandemic kicked off. I mean, what are your thoughts? Who wants to, you know, who wants yeah, to reply I'll, to that I'll, one? I'll Go on, Josh. I think because, you know, as somebody who, I, I, I think we'll get onto this in a bit, but I entered cybersecurity from a law background, having studied that. And so I, I kind of started at ground zero, although having some affinity for tech. But it's, it's one of the more scary jobs that you can get into. And by that, I mean like the responsibility. You, yes, you're not saving lives. It's not a, not, you're, not a, you're not a doctor or a nurse or anything. But you do feel very responsible for what it is you're doing, that if you miss something or if you overlook something or leave, leave a gap, uh, if you're doing some sort of architecture engineering, then you could be the reason that your company hits the news and that all these this things happen. So I think that that point you made about about mentoring is is really important because it's it's you don't need them all the time, but it's great to have somebody some at some point where you can ha- have a double check. Am I thinking things correctly? Because no one person can know everything about cybersecurity, even these these kind of senseis as you you sort of describe them there. They will have a lot of knowledge about some things, but then other things they'll know enough to find the troubleshoot the answers, find a way to get there. Um, and that's really what you need to do in the cybersecurity world. It's so broad, it's evolving so quickly that you need to be able to rely on other people. Um, so I think that you're right that maybe there's a lack of mentorship in the pandemic. I think the other thing that has really changed is is how analysts work. You know, those who didn't you know, give it up for a nice bit of sunshine in the garden. They now work from home. And that has also changed the game to some respect. Um, I, I know some socks who have come up really well from this, where they have Teams rooms that they're constantly in all day and they still have that same um, camaraderie, that same knowledge share constantly. When something new is seen, it's interesting. Everybody wants to look at that and they can share screens in some ways. It's more efficient than having people crowded around one. But also... This opens up the entire world to the cybersecurity talent that's out there. I'm 
from Wales and I used to work in a sock in, in Cardiff and some of the people were were fairly you know local. They they loved Wales. They weren't planning on moving anywhere. And since the pandemic, they've now had the opportunity to look way beyond into to London jobs where they never went to, to London because they can now sit at home and actually do the same job that they were doing. But I can now have access to these greater levels of, of pay or advancement, whatever it is thereafter. So it's, it's, it's a really a double-edged sword in that respect that it's made it difficult for people to upskill as, as easily. But also it's opened up the horizons for all those analysts. And so that resource is even more it, yeah, organizations are competing for that resource of, of a knowledgeable cybersecurity expert more than they were previously because the floodgates have opened. Yeah. And just, I mean, just to echo that, not only within the UK, you know, it's opened up roles to people external to the UK as well. So, you know, you can now get talent from other parts of the world that could fill those, fill those gaps. But James, just a point you, you raised uh, or spoke about, you know, the pandemic has really exacerbated the problem. You know, what was re- was a pretty critical situation for cybersecurity in terms of the lack of experience and expertise and just bodies within the industry really has been exacerbated by the, by that pandemic just across all industries. Um, you know, there's, you name an industry today, um, probably every single vertical where they have huge gaps in the number of people that are required, right? A number of roles available. And that's only made things worse, I think, from a cybersecurity perspective. And we're really going to see the, start to feel the impact of that going forward. And really, you know, no amount of technology is going to, is, is going to address that. You know, I remember back 10 years or so, you know, when SIEM solutions really burst out into the scene, became mainstream. Everyone thought that would be the, the golden pill that would uh, address this issue. You can do correlation and you have a solution that's going to, replace five people and it's going to do all this fancy stuff for you and that's just not turned out to be the case so you know i think no amount of technology is going to be able to help that the only thing we can do is really as a a vertical and as as a set of organizations is make sure that we're investing in new talent and bringing new talent into, into into the industry Absolutely. I mean, you know, I just feel like we've taken a big step backwards from from where we were getting the gains, you know, pre-pandemic. I think it's, let's face it, that whole time period has, has been a big shock to a lot of different sectors and caused a lot of pain and still causing pain now. We've got economical problems and social problems, which weren't necessarily caused by the pandemic, but are just contributing to this. When you, being an information security professional, you're, I've always kind of felt that I'm at the forefront of a war. You know, yeah. I'm trying to outthink constantly the, an enemy that I don't know, I can't see, I can't talk to. There's no negotiation. There's no way to, to kind of resolve things and get a bit of peace. It's a constant, high-pressure, ongoing slog to kind of protect organizations sometimes from themselves sometimes from external sources and i think a lot of information security professionals coming on board they're not getting that guidance from from the people who've already been through it and it's almost like we've got like university courses but speaking to some people coming out of those institutions they don't even know what defense in depth is you know they've heard it I've heard the word, but when you sit down and say to them, tell me how you do your defense in depth, if you're doing an interview or whatever, or, you know, 
what what are your ideas on defense in depth? They they kind of look at you and they mention a few vague things, but but it's obvious there's a massive gap in that knowledge. So we're not training, you know, up and coming infosec people feasibly correctly, in my opinion. That's not to say we haven't got some good talent out there, but I think, you know, we need to up our game a fair bit when it comes to how we train them. I mean, I, I you know, I'm releasing soon. It's not a plug. This is this is because I see there's a genuine, genuine issue. Um, maybe by the time this goes live, it's already already on. But the masterclass, I'm doing it for free, not for the benefit of the company. We're not charging for it, but solely because I just need to see a, a, a better quality of information security professional coming through the ranks, people who can understand the basics before eventually when I retire, you know, or other people retire who are in, you know, similar state in life. And I know a lot of InfoSec people who do tend to retire quite early or they sidestep into, dare I say it, Keith Sales, you know, because <laughs> when you're when you're living, you know, with the pressure of, of, uh, of trying to maintain the security, and, and Josh kind of mentioned it, if it goes wrong, you know, you're the first one on the chopping block. You're the first one the fingers are pointing at. Why Why didn't you get our defense done to the point where we wouldn't experience this, this problem? The answer is, well, you're always going to be, you know, potentially going to have a breach. You know, it's how you respond to it. But again, a lot of the upcoming InfoSec people I talk to are say, you know, what's most important or, you know, what's one of the more important pieces of the puzzle when it comes to information security, bit governance or cyber? You know, they mention different technologies. They mention all kinds of things. But what they don't mention is things like risk management or instant response. And they don't know what those things necessarily are. I don't know. It's it's a tough one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's from a cybersecurity perspective, and this we've been talking about for years, it's people process technology. Mm. There's a reason that people comes first, right? Because you've got to have the right people in, in place within the organization. They need to have the right level of skills to be able to then define what your processes look like and then ultimately have tooling that sits on alongside that to augment what you're doing from a people and process perspective. But, you know, as I said, first and foremost is the is the people element and that needs to be the focus. But yeah, as as we've pointed out, you know, it's not always easy finding those people when you need them. And it's interesting that we've kind of moved this conversation from the entry-level analysts, the cybersecurity analysts, to now almost some of the executive security decision makers. Um, and I find myself becoming the stats guy, but I have an interesting stat that backs up the, um, the leadership, leadership leaving. So CISO is about 32% of them are thinking of quitting their current role, and about a similar amount are thinking of quitting within the next six months. And that's from a survey by BlackFrog. And I also saw something that said about 41% of CISOs have to are forced to resign or uh, fired after the event of a cyber attack or, or data breach you know, from the same source. So it's very stressful, right, James? That's why these people are, are quitting so early and women retiring, um, because it, it's not a, a relaxing job. You never know what you're going to be turning into face one day. You can't plan to have a quiet day in cybersecurity. You know, if you do that, that's, that's often when you get caught with your, your trousers down. Um, but inter- I'd be interested to hear what you guys think of the kind of some of the solutions might be. And if James, you talked about the, the education, the work that you're doing, but with the problem getting bigger and also skilled professionals getting increasing, how can we maintain this momentum moving forward? Yeah, I, I mean, it's something I put a lot of thought into. And 
One of the big issues I, I think I, I kind of am seeing from the periphery. I mean, it's different for me because I've, I've arguably, I've already kind of had a large chunk of my career. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I've reached that lofty height now. So I can, I can speak from a bit of experience. We're not experiencing information security in the way that we traditionally did. You, you're right. I mean, the, one of the things mentioned before, we're, we're working from home more now, which is, which is great for the family life. You know, it's, it's, it's good in many respects. We can talk with people and teams. We can get jobs all over the world and, and still comparatively do our jobs. But we're missing out on that element of the camaraderie. You know, a lot of our interface with one another is through body language. And yes, we can use cameras. We're using, some of us are using cameras now. You know, but you don't necessarily get that. And it's easy to turn yourself off to concentrate on other things, which is sometimes good if you've got documentation to do or you've got a task to do. But you, you're getting a lot of arguments now with where were you? Why didn't you respond to my, my, my team's message? And it's like, oh God, you know, give me a chance. Give me five minutes. Maybe I was getting a coffee. Maybe I was, you know, concentrating on the task at hand. And it's, it's interesting, you know, the, some of those stats that you gave out, Josh, because I know a lot, I, I do know many, many infosec people at the top end of their career who have had problems in the past with maybe alcohol or other things to, because of the pressure that they're under. And I think a lot of the incoming people, because they're not getting that mentoring necessarily quite as often or as much as they would normally do. I mean, my mentors, I worked with them physically there in the same room, on site with customers and, and so on and so forth. One of them's been here on the podcast, John, you know, who I rate extremely highly. He taught me a hell of a lot. But it wasn't the InfoSec stuff, although he did teach me that kind of stuff that I think I, I hold very dear today. It's those soft skills, comms, psychology, investigative skills. It's a lot of skill set that isn't necessarily being trained in or they haven't up and coming people haven't had the opportunity to experience firsthand because it is a lot of the time being done behind a computer screen. And I just find things getting really, really tough. And I don't think they're going to get easier in the short term. I think, as Keith said, midterm, long term, I think we'll sort it out. I hope we will. Or we're going to go through a period of time where information security professionals, because we've had this back step um, and we're not getting that kind of mentoring, the next kind of, you know, from the older generation of people that we were getting previous, that, that we're going to have to learn some of this stuff all over again, or some of these up-and-coming people are going to have to learn all this stuff up for themselves, because it's just not going to be the people there to do it. Yeah, and also with the whole work-from-home element, um, we've just lost the ability to wander over and have a chat or hmm. speak to someone over, you know, the, the, the coffee moments, you know, grabbing a cup of coffee or tea. Josh, you mentioned it, you know, socks running you know, teams calls that stay open all day so that people can drop in and, and drop out as, as and when required. But it's just not the same as being in the same location, you know. And I just, I hope that that also doesn't have a negative impact on the industry long term. You know, is that what people are going to want to do for 30, 40, maybe longer years in their career? Um, sit behind a, a screen and, and do everything over camera? Personally, I wouldn't, um, but then maybe that's why I'm in sales. Um, but I just don't want that to also have end up having a, a negative impact. I get the positives, 
the flexibility and being able to uh, spend more time with family and, and all the rest. But, you know, there are also a lot, a lot of ne- negatives with that. And um, I don't want that to become, a, you know, yet another, and hopefully it doesn't, yet another drawback really of, of stopping people getting into the industry. VR, that's the answer to that one. Virtual reality. <laughs> the oh, metaverse. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, allegedly that's going to make us super productive. But um, I have one of those headsets and I've not found it made me any more productive. <laughs> just like to look at <laughs> just like to look at the world map from a high high distance up. Uh, but I'm going to offer a, a different point of view, actually, I think you guys, because I, I shared that perception that having been an analyst pre-pandemic when it was yeah, in person, you you were turning up for your six a.m. shift sometimes, and and you know, you had that that I guess some element of camaraderie. I thought that analysts were really going to struggle with the the new normal, the new way of thinking, um, and I still I still keep in t- contact with a lot of them, and I've been asking them, you know, how are you actually finding it? And I had the same opinion that it's got to be a negative experience, and um, the overwhelming majority of them think it's fantastic. They they think it's actually a more efficient way for them to share information and to be with each other. Um, they say there's there's a little bit. You, know, you don't get that same, I guess you lose the osmosis learning where you're listening to other people's conversations, but you can sit quietly on a, on a call where people discuss things. Um, but if you do it well, and if you do it right, and I think that I'm probably talking from a, a relatively large SOC operation, right? This isn't a case of two or three analysts. This is a case of maybe you know, 20 to 40 per shift. If you do that right, and you, you, you create an environment where they are willing to yeah, they they can say whatever they want in a team's room. There's it's not moderated. There's no doesn't have to be leadership in there who might flag something up for saying something you know, kind of ropey and you never know it could be recorded. But actually the way they can share their screens, the way that they are at their own desk in their most comfortable environment. Um, some of them are different, you know, neuro, neurodiverse backgrounds as well, which I think we discussed previously how that can really great add for excellent differences of analysis and different analysis when it's combined gives you that best overall picture and often finds things that even the most experienced analysts will miss when they get to someone with a fresh opinion on things. And it's really suited some of those people. They feel a lot more comfortable with, with how they are, their work life is um, and able to focus more on their tasks rather than some of the stuff that maybe someone like you, Keith, in sales is a bit easier um, being around the office and mingling and socializing, but they find it a bit a bit difficult. So I think there's definitely ways that you can encourage and foster it to be to, to work effectively. But I'm not saying that that's easy. And I, I certainly think that that's not going to be achievable for everybody. And to your point, James, we do need, you know, you're gonna, if you're going to hire lots of kind of karate kids, those entry-level analysis, you're going to need lots of Mr. Miyagi's to, to build them up and, and have that access to them as well. Not that old. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was the experience and wisdom, nothing else. Uh, yeah, I mean, in your interactions with information security professionals, uh, uh, and both of you interact with a lot of them too, you know, obviously key through the sales process and you, Josh, you know, when you're interacting with customers and, and your teams, what skills are we short of? Is it hard skills? Is it soft skills? I mean, is, is there any really gaping areas of, of missing skill sets that you're starting to see come out? Well, I mean, I can speak from a sales perspective. Um, Obviously, salespeople, yeah. <laughs> salespeople, yes. So you do at times come across people who are, yeah, should we say, uh, faking it till they make it. So there's always an element of that. Um, you know, people who probably quite quickly get found out by customers, etc., um, who are either new to the industry or just don't have the expertise. So, you know, something quite we, I see quite often. 
but also, you know, when engaging engaging with customers acro- across the board, um, you know, you do you do at times meet people, you know, sometimes overqualified, but also, you know, you do get the feeling that sometimes underqualified for for the role or the or the position based on the the interaction that that you have. So, yeah, it does. You do get that from time to time and. Just to Josh's point, you know, with the with regards to the analysts, I mean, hopefully that's a, a draw to bring people into the industry, and maybe that's something we should be talking about more, right? If people are wanting to work from home um, and it really fits that mold, then maybe that is, you know, I can't remember if it was you, James, or, or, or Josh, who asked the question, but you know, if we're looking to bring, how do we address this this skills gap? Then maybe that's something we as an industry should be talking more about and leveraging that to get more people into the industry. Mm. And I think people have, have started to move towards that, but more of necessity because they can't compete. And a friend of mine worked for one of the big banks and they strongly put their foot down towards the you know, beginning of the summer that he needed. To, they needed to start coming in now frequently. And a lot of them had moved away. So a lot of them found new jobs. And um, lo and behold, there was a whole crypto market that was budding, ready to hire the big um, you know, analysts for the big <laughs> banks and gain that credibility. Uh, but I think you know talk, the question was about where the holes, and you know, it's hard to pinpoint anything. But I think having any sort of twenty four seven operation that requires a whole load of bodies. Um, they don't all necessarily have to be super skilled, uh, have a lot of talent in that respect. Um, but you do need a lot of bodies, and you do need um, enough of a spread of of expertise across those systems, those teams. And I think that's really difficult to source, um, and then to to maintain and keep them interested because those kind of work for twenty four seven is is really instant response. I'm looking at, at alerts that are churned out, looking at logs, and investigating. And often, if you're just doing that for one company, there's a huge amount that's going to happen at any given time. Sometimes nothing will happen. But if you work for Yes, you know, for example, the stock that we have is four thousand customers. You know, there's always something happening, which means there's always something quite interesting to be doing uh, in that respect. But I think what we're now seeing is some of these. It used to be difficult to talk to organizations and say, you can't do this yourself. You can't staff a 24-7 team. And now they're coming to us and saying, I know I can't hire a 24-7 team. I know I can only maybe get a few good cybersecurity people. How can I work with any security partner that is going to augment what I have already and really maybe take away some of the menial stuff, but also really support me in some of the high value um, um, tasks as well. Because those are the best relationships. I think you, you can outsource absolutely everything. You're probably not going to get the best outcome. But if you outsource the right things and you combine that with in-house expertise and essentially work in tandem you know, with each other, that's when you can really kind of address that, that skills gap um, for your organization. But how do we as an industry, grow more good talent. I think it's taking a chance on those less skilled you know, workers um, and having given them a path to success. Things like your your masterclass, James, be super helpful in skilling people up. And it's it's an environment where we're constantly needing to skill up, no matter who you are. Even if you are, I've been in the industry for a while, there's still going to be new stuff popping up you're going to have to f- learn about, you're going to have to d- dive into. So it's about equipping people with the skills to go and find new stuff out, but also the confidence that their methods of analysis are sound. You know, teach the man to fish rather than giving him fish. That's the thing we should really be encouraging here. And also recognizing that a university degree, I think you said at the top of the call, James, isn't isn't actually all that valuable when you drill into their skill set. And me coming from the law background, I worked along a lot of from the military background as well. Um, as long as you've got those that that analytical mind frame and and, a, and, a, and an affinity for problem solving, for learning, then. I think really there's a we can broaden it massively to the number of people we should be taking in from different industries and enabling because like I said it is it is a scary thing to dip your toes in and to start in um, 
including an environment, right? It's a scary environment as well. It does take a lot from films and, and Hollywood almost to kind of have these dark rooms with hoodies up. And we used to do that every time the sales team came around, Keith, for a customer, we'd put our, <laughs> we'd, we'd turn the lights down and, and make it look even more uh, like so that. So they're tapping away furiously with matrix code floating down the screen. Um, I, I actually did use one of those for a laugh once, just a fake matrix generator. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just... I, I could, I'm going to make a bit of a prediction here, to be totally honest. I think what we're going to see is we're going to see hyper-focused specializations because one of the things that I think benefited before all of this from any team of information security professionals, we always work together. Um, yes, some would work from home from time to time. You know, that was that was beginning to be a thing. We have the ability to cross-pollinate by, as, as I think it was Keith that mentioned it, you know, just listening in on what people were doing, you know, and getting involved in projects that we wouldn't ever normally get involved with because, you know, oh, you're doing that. Oh, that sounds quite interesting. You know, I wouldn't mind getting involved in that. And just sitting there having a chat with people about what they do. Now you have to make an effort and you have to, I say make an effort like it's a bad thing. You know, you always should make an effort. But you're having to sort of, but almost book people's time in to have a chat with them about what they're doing. You know, I mean, as a boss, that's fine. But if you're working with, you know, a team of people, the situation at the moment is that you might never even talk to them for, you know, individually for like days, weeks, sometimes even months on end, you know, might not even have yeah. met them at all. So you haven't had that chance to build that rapport with them to find out what they do. You know, I've learned a lot from pen testers, from, you know, insurance specialists, from legal specialists. You're quite right. There's a lot of people coming in from a lot of different areas of, of various different sectors that I think is really good and it's really beneficial. But I just feel that we're, we're going to breed a, a security professional in, say, maybe even as close as three to five years. You know, I do pen testing. Oh, can you also help us with the policies? Well, no, not really. I've done pen testing for years, so that's where I've focused. One of the things and tips that I give to all kind of InfoSec grads when I when I used to do the um, you know guest lecturing, or when I've been mentoring people, is get a broader base skill set as early on as you can. Don't say no to doing something; say yes. Obviously, you've got your day to day work to do as well. Don't get me wrong. Here at Razorthorn, I say to all my guys, you know, get involved in stuff because the more involved you get, you may you will pick up other techniques. Some of them will be soft techniques like how to talk to people from different cultures or how to interact with people who are experiencing hardship because they're in the middle of an incident. A lot of these people who are coming into this industry, they're not necessarily going to have that same opportunity. It's going to be very much... Right, you're doing your, you know, you're on the PCI DSS project. So they're going to learn everything there is to, to, to know about PCI DSS and compliance, which is good. You know, we need more good QSA. Don't get me wrong. We've lost a lot over the years. That's all they're ever going to necessarily be able to do. It's going to be very hard for them to move in and say, oh, you know what, I, I fancy doing some governance. Yeah, okay, it's been a part of that compliance requirements, but I haven't been doing it. I haven't written a policy. I've seen them, never written them. You know, I've never learned to understand the culture of the business first. I've never understood or haven't come across how to do the risk management because it was done by Dave over there or, you know, Lucy over there. 
And other than maybe sort of like being asked a question once in a while, I've never actually sat there and looked at the wrist register. Oh, just go over kind of how you do this or what you've been doing. I benefited from it. I don't think other people are. And feel free to disagree, by the way. No, I, I agree. Um, I think a lot of that is probably also going to be pushed through and because of things like outsourcing. You know, when you outsource a specific function, you only want that specific function. So you want someone that's essentially pigeonholed into providing end testing, as an example, you know, red teaming, whatever, whatever it is. You're going to an organization, you want that function, you want probably the best you can, you can buy for the money that you have to perform that specific function. Case in point, your organization, uh, James, you know, people come to you to buy in a, to buy in a resource for a specific function. They want someone that's going to know how to do that. Who's probably been doing it for years. That's all they want. They maybe don't want everything else. So I think, you know, that outsourcing mold or that we, we tend, customers tend to be using today and we'll probably see that becoming more prolific through the years because it's so difficult for people to get hold of, of staff is probably really going to play into that, you know, that, that element you were just talking, you know, ending up with people who are hyper-focused and perform one task really well, but that's all that they can do. I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah, I, I'd agree that yeah, that is a concern, I think, that, that having that hyper-focus. But really the ideal future for is somebody who has as many skills in cybersecurity as possible. Like we look at the SOC environment, for example, if you're a SOC analyst, SOC and threat intelligence are usually two quite distinct teams and threat research and intelligence will write a lot of the detections that you're, you're then analyzing. And then the SOC then are taught how to do it and they, they do it. Um, but those who take an interest in the threat research and start to kind of straddle them some more can understand why they're being generated, can tweak them and improve them as well and have those conversations then you're, you've essentially got um, a car mechanic who can also drive the race car. You know, you've got somebody who, who's doing both roles and it just makes everybody a bit more efficient. So I, I say if, if somebody asks you to do something, you get an opportunity to do something, you're not quite fully sure. That's absolutely a reason to jump into it. The difficulty is that we are in a cybersecurity is kind of a high stakes game and it's difficult to create an environment where you're allowed to fail and you're allowed to fail forward because sometimes the actions that you do might have implications that can be quite large on an organization, um, which is why I think you see people really stick in their lane. I'm really comfortable with this. I'm a master of this. And so I'm, I know that if I do this, everything's going to be okay. And they may even be happy to leave something else, another responsibility, go by the by and have almost nobody do it because they don't think they can do the perfect job. So I don't have an answer for that, but I think that the, the solution to making sure we don't get hyperfocused is how we can foster environments in cybersecurity roles that don't get you fired when soon as there's been a critical breach that say, look, that's an experience, that's a lesson that we can learn. How can we improve from that? And then going forward, everybody comes out of that a better position. So it's almost a bit of a, a culture shift, but I recognize that in the high stakes game, it's not the easiest place to sandbox. Yeah, and it, it, it very, very much differs from industry to industry, right? In our, in our industry, cyber incidents uh, mean safety, right? In, you know, from a clarity perspective in the industries we're engaged with, operational technology you know that could be anything from a nuclear power station through to a manufacturing plant a cyber breach could mean that you could end up with people getting hurt and injured um yeah and, and even worse. Mm. Yeah, yeah exactly you know and there's loads of examples of that it is a high state environment and world and 
the organizations need to be more mindful of that as well and how um, those people are dealt with um, because it is, it, it is a challenge that they have to yeah. deal with day to day. Perhaps the kind of capture the flag and the, the almost war game stuff is a, is a step towards that, that mm. trying out new things without it really mattering. Um, certainly, you know, hackthebox.com is a fantastic resource if, if anyone's looking to get into cybersecurity and wants to almost gamify it as well and, and, and play about with it without any consequences. Um, you can be a hacker without having to get a knock on your door and uh, a five-year sentence. I, I don't think they'd even knock on your door. I, I think we're <laughs> well behind the, you know, the we're well behind on that score of things you know it's, that's why people are doing it that's why we have malicious actors doing what they're doing because you know yeah you see the occasional scapegoat or somebody's been blamed for something but it's, it's very hard to prove very hard mm-hmm. to prove concisively that you've, you've caught the right person and more often than not there's a there's a whole team behind them who've just gone all oh, you know so and so has just been done so uh, let's just stay stay quiet for a little bit let him take the rap you know there's no honor among thieves we all know that Um, But I think one of the advisories that I've got for anybody out there, a lot of those top jobs that you are probably vying for in your career, you know, the the CISO positions, the the director's positions, you know, the C-suites, whatever it may well be within that security space, does rely on you having a very broad base of knowledge because you're going to be managing people who do this or managing the outsource company that you've brought in to do this, which is another thing that, you know, something that Keith mentioned, which is quite interesting. When the pandemic kicked off, again, I've talked a lot about the pandemic, and I think that's been a bit of a catalyst here for where we are today. I saw a lot of InfoSec people from SOX and what have you suddenly get outsourced. You know, their jobs suddenly disappeared. They got outsourced out because it was cheaper to do that than to maintain them. IT departments have been experiencing that in the you know outsourcing thing for, for many, many, many years now, and, and we've seen how that one's gone. I'm not saying that you guys providing services, because I just realized I criticized both of you here on the, <laughs> you know, but, but you've got to have that internal talent because, the, you know, the only people, yes, you can have, you, you can have good, uh, good suppliers and good s- sort of service providers and solutions being provided, but you, you do still have to have your own internal people if you're at least of a, of a decent size. Because they've got the time, the knowledge, and the skills to dedicate themselves to protecting that organisation, and yeah, I think it, it would be good to see a bit of a shake up in the in the kind of training side of things when it comes to to infosec. I've, I've, there's a couple of companies out there that popped up that have you know will train you in infosec, and then we'll help you get a job. Mm. Similar kind of things happened back in the day with IT companies you know we'll train you up in it and then we'll help you get a job and i only hope that these guys have actually sat back and spoken with some you know a collection of professionals such as ourselves from the various different facets of what we do to build those courses to cater for what life really is like in the infosec world because my one criticism on a lot of a lot of people coming in now that i i hear from them is that they've been given this blue sky wonderful view of what infosec actually is you know and it's it's all flowers and roses and if you do this and do that you know everything will be sweet as a nut and you'll never have a problem and we've mentioned it a few times if you do experience a breach and the finger pointing that begins and it will quite often let's be honest it does 
they're going to be pointing at you, and you have to you have to have that soft skill set to, to 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 defend your position. You know, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Now, us old school people know that whenever a business makes a decision, that they're not going to do something, even though you've kind of communicated what it is, and that's their right. You know, they're an organisation; they're the ones with hands on the money purse. You better have that signed off by someone. You don't make the decision yourself more often than not. More often than not, you're advising someone. And if they won't take that leap and protect that particular piece of technology or that revenue stream or that environment, uh, and they're working at a a level of risk that they're comfortable at, make sure you get that sign-off, guys. Because if it does go wrong and somebody points a finger at you, at least you, you can then turn around and say, look, I did advise this and somebody made a decision that they didn't want to go down this route. Here we go. It will save your skin. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, security is always a trade-off, right? The, the, the best form of online security in the world is to not have a single connection to the internet, but then you can't do your, any of your work, really. Mm-hmm. So it, it's always about finding that balance. And I think what you're talking about there, James, is sometimes where, yeah, you, you know this is the right thing to do security-wise, but you might be button heads with someone operational-wise. So it's, it's make, just make sure that you're looking at it in the well-rounded from a well-rounded perspective and that you have the skills to, to inform exactly, look, these are the risks. If we don't go ahead with this, this is what you're accepting. And, and you say, get it writing, that's going to cover your back nicely. But the other thing you touched on was the the training that we need to do. And I, I might throw this one back to you guys afterwards, but I think there's probably a lot more we can do at a more grassroots level, like in schools. Uh, if you look at somewhere yeah. like Israel, they have all their teenagers um, have mandatory security IT lessons. And there's no wonder they have some of the best um, cybersecurity professionals in, in, in the world coming out of there and really loads of enterprises that are based upon it. And you hear the, uh, our government in the UK talking about investing more in STEM and having more STEM workers. Yeah, I think cybersecurity can, can really fit into that as well. And maybe it's just a bit of yeah. a perception thing because you never hear a child say, I want to be a cybersecurity professional. I want to be a forensics analyst. <laughs> But maybe we need to have a more of a conversation about what it is that we are doing, what the problem is we're trying to solve, that we aren't an obstacle, we are a solution. And something that I saw that really helped me feel good about what it is that I, I do as a security professional and might work uh, beyond is the world needs clean access to clean water, access to clean energy, and third, access to clean information. And, and cybersecurity is really part of that third piece there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a, a pretty critical aspect of pretty much anything, really, when you look at it objectively. I mean, Keith, you out of out of sort of me and Josh, you probably get to sit in front of uh, plenty of infosec professionals, be it on the high end, you know, the CISOs, the the and, and the mid end. I mean, what are you seeing from from your perspective? Are you seeing a lot of people struggling to? get staff? Are they struggling in their own roles? Are they burning out? I mean, one of the other things that, that we've discussed before is burnout. Whilst I don't, kind of don't want to go over it too much, it, it is an important aspect of, of why we have a skill shortage. You know, burnout factor in, in, in InfoSec seems to be pretty high, every bit as high as, as, as other professions where you, they're putting themselves into physical danger. You know, because mentally speaking, it's it's it is a bit of a battle. What are you seeing? Yeah, look, I mean, at the high end, from from a CISO perspective, typically seeing CISOs move around very often, right? I mean, it's not uncommon for me to be dealing with the CISO one day, 
uh, he's moved on the next and all of a sudden we're engaged in another project um, in, in another organization as a result. So, you know, I've over the years have dealt with many a CISO that have moved on you know, multiple times. Um, is that is know, that due to boredom or due to, to frustration? I mean, I think it's it's probably a few factors. I think financially, um, mm. you know, every move attracts probably more more money, and CISOs tend to get into a role, especially in the inter- enterprise space, get into a role looking to deliver a few projects, deliver those, and then ultimately um, move on. So I think, look, financial is probably one of them. Uh, maybe boredom is is another, and looking for and looking for a new challenge once they've delivered on on a few key projects or key deliverables that they wanted to deliver on. So you know, not uncommon to see CISOs moving every 18, 24 months, or maybe even less at the low end. Again, you know, I see organisations right to, from the top down always complaining about not having the right level of resources or having resources available, um, you know, especially when we're trying to deliver projects, that can be a challenge. You know, you're trying to sell a new solution into an organization and a lot of the time there's pushback because people have moved on. Um, they are struggling to find new resources, <laughs> doing a lot of work in the NHS this year. We've had a few projects, probably three or four, that have stalled because the cybersecurity lead within their trust has moved on and they're struggling to find someone else because they're fighting for those resources against banks, financial institutions and other enterprise organizations that typically have much deeper pockets. So, you know, I think the problem's more acute um, public sector organizations, but I think it is an issue just in general terms um, across the board. Yeah, it's it's certainly interesting. I mean, I've seen the wages associated with a CISO just go through the roof. Have I thought about doing it and living the easy life and, you know, moving on? No, of course not. I love Razor Thorn. That's why I've been here for 15 years. Well, I started the company, so, you know, I've got a vested interest in it. But, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people. I've I've, I've, I've met a lot of people over the years and... and I think for the older older crowd, a lot of them get into positions, you know, the higher end positions because they're just tired of chasing the money. They've got money, you know. They figured out that. I think this is where some of the wisdom comes in. I was talking, funny enough, to somebody who's just getting into infosec, and and they were bang on about how they could, you know, work here, then work there, and you know, they could double their money within two to three years. And I said to them, I said, just stop. You know, yeah, money is important. You know, you've got to pay your bills. You've got to, especially with the <laughs> the power and uh, power bills that we're going to be soon be getting. I said, yeah. don't chase the money when you're in this kind of career, especially in the early days. You know, chase the experience. Get involved in stuff that you wouldn't normally get involved with because it's a very quick way to get pigeonholed if you chase the cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't develop into a good, well-rounded infosec professional. And, you know, I'm not saying people who chase the money won't eventually, but you know, if you if you pull back a little bit and just go right, oh, that looks like a really interesting role. Working, funny enough, as Josh said, you know, working in SCADA or working in a company that you know delivers clean water to people or a charity or whatever. You know, obviously charities legendarily don't pay that well their own internal staff, but you know, you can get a good experience in there. And, and this is part of the reason why I'm a consultant, and I've been a consultant for many years. I, I get to experience 
the differences in every single company that I go into and my guys go into. One minute we're in a manufacturing firm, a you know, well-known car company or a company that's delivering, building and managing satellites. I mean, you know, trust me, that 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 particular customer of ours is 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 just amazingly interesting in what they're getting involved with. And, you know, it allows me to kind of get involved in all kinds of things at all kinds of different levels as well. And and the, the life of a consultant is tough. It's a bit easier now that we do a lot less traveling. I don't know about you, Keith, you, you salespeople do nearly as much traveling as we do, but... You know, I'd be in Liverpool or I'd be in Amsterdam or I'd be in New York, you know, delivering on stuff and meeting with people and doing pieces of work. Nowadays, a lot of the time I'm doing it kind of over teams because they have a policy of, of you know, no corporate office or a very small corporate office. So, yeah, yeah it's interesting how it's going. Yeah, agree. Agree. Um, although the travel seems to have started back up. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I haven't... Yeah. I haven't noticed it dramatically rising to what it was before, I must admit. You know, nowadays, there's still people with policies of, yeah, you know, we, we, we're not we're not accepting visitors. Um, I mean, I've got some clients that we've been dealing with that I, I've never been on their, their site, you know. I've, I, they haven't got one. They're all kind of remote. I mean, we're reaching the kind of high end of the hour now, so we should probably sort of finish in conclusions, really, and, and kind of just go over, you know... So we've established we think we all think there is skill shortage and we've established a few ideas of, of things that needs to be done and things that need to be considered. But um, I mean, where do you see things in the in the short term? What are your concluding comments? You know, what do we need to do? What do we need to think about? Um, where do we go from here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll step in first. Um, I think we need a lot more investment and it needs focus from the government. Uh, Josh raises a very valid point. This should be on. Uh, school leavers agenda. Um, uh, higher education has has a part to play in that as well to ensure that, to your point, uh, James, you know, when uh, people are coming out of university that they have um, the skills available um, and the appropriate skills that um, be used in vocation. So I think there's a big, play, big part to play from an education perspective, but industry has a big part to play as well. You know, you mentioned your uh, initiative you're just about to launch, you know, if more organizations' um, expertise in the field were were delivering projects like that, I think that would be, well, it's only going to be a good thing um, in the long run. There are some government initiatives, which I do see pop up primarily on LinkedIn um, every now and again, around training and education in cybersecurity, so trying to get the word out on those. But yeah, I think it's going to be a bumpy couple of years uh, or a few years until we get on top of this issue as an industry. Final point from me, if anyone listening to the to the podcast is looking to get into sales or into commercial role within cybersecurity, please drop me a, a DM on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to give free and impartial advice of, you know, how I got got here and what I do and 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 some thoughts on how to get into the industry. So yeah, please find me on LinkedIn. I'm there regu- regularly online um, and let's have a chat. Hmm. That's that's yeah, I think people doing like you're doing there, Keith, offering yourself and James as well. That is, we talk about the collaborative defense in cybersecurity, and this is another form of of collaboration um, to to share this skill set and this knowledge that we all have. Because cybersecurity is everyone's problem; it's not your individual organization's problems in silos. They're this very much connected. So, I think 
yeah, for the short term, yeah, the solutions we discussed are probably more long term, but there there are still things you can do in the short term that you know take a chance, lower your specifications on a role, take a chance on somebody who maybe doesn't quite fit everything, but demonstrates that affinity for learning and, and give them, yeah, then make sure they are equipped with the ability to get there. So maybe, whether that's courses, maybe that's using other third parties to help skill them up. Um, those people are going to be really appreciative of that kind of opportunity as well and more likely to stay around because retention is the second problem of this cybersecurity skill gap. Um, but also in the short run, yeah, there is there are many outsourced solutions out there. Now, I'd be remiss not to mention that AlertLogic or Fortra offer one of those. So look for managed services to augment yourself in the short run. You can often even see them as, as training wheels. We work with some early SOCs who um, in the future intend to have everything 24-7 under their roof, but they need a pathway to get there and a safety net behind them so that they can make sure they can catch all the things they need to catch while they're skilling these up and while they're finding their feet with that because that will be a long process. So yeah, look for outsourced solutions, but there is still this danger of setting and forgetting even a managed service. Um, that's still the problem. So make sure you have at least somebody who is a security, has some security expertise to engage with these people to really realize the value there. It's interesting you should mention that actually because I'm we've got quite a few customers at the moment who who can't afford infosec people of the caliber they're looking for so they they bring us on board to to train up their people as well you know kind of train in our own inheritors and you know what I actually quite like it um it's quite nice because I've always enjoyed the mentoring side of things and and I'm a big believer in it and and maybe I should think about you know an initiative where we get some of the best infosec professionals to, to freely mentor people on a regular basis just to get the level of skill sets up, you know, get some kind of initiative going because we desperately need it. And I think, you know, a lot of people can benefit from it, not not just for themselves, but the industry at large could get, a, a, you know, a lot, a lot done. We could get a lot more skilled up a lot quicker, you know, a lot more efficiently. We can see, we can get the the benefits of other people's experiences and thought processes, you know, part of the reason why people are good at what they do and the human race has gotten where, where it is is because of, you know, learning from mistakes and communication. And I think, you know, communication here really is the key. Um, part of the reason why we're doing these, these, these podcasts, you know, it's, it's to get the message out and to hopefully to teach people that, you know, there are different ways of doing things. There are interesting things that are coming up that, that they need to be considering. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting one. So might be knocking on your guys' doors at some point soon. We definitely need some, some good, uh, good security salespeople. I've, I've certainly seen a few interesting ones come, come across my <laughs> desk recently, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like every time we do one of these podcasts, by the end of it, you've got some new idea. Or some... uh, but as I said, you know, again, the, the answer to, to a shortage in skill set or a shortage in, you know, or an issue in the community is to sit down and actually put some discourse through because you do, you, you come up with ideas and gems. Whether you've got, mm. you got the time to do it at the end of it, I don't know. But, uh, you know, if you don't do it, then maybe somebody will pick up on that. You know, maybe listening to this and go, that's a really good idea. You know what, I'm going to do it. Mm. Um, and if any of you guys want to do it out there, don't feel that you have to have to get my okay for it. You know, if you want to do it and you've got time to do it, go and do it. And, um, you know, yeah, it'd be great to hear if you if you are going to, to do that kind of thing or you do have that kind of initiative, you know, get in touch with us via LinkedIn or, 
you know, in the various different memes that are down, down in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, but guys, thank you ever so much. We're just going over time now, so I think we should bring this to a nice conclusion and maybe review this in a, in two years' time. We'll we'll do a review of the video together and then kind of do a redux. And it's just like, right, where, where, what did we think we were going to be back then versus where we are now? And then, yeah. you know, no yeah. doubt cri- criticise our, our previous video. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it'll be better. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Um, so thank you guys. Cheers for 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 coming in and being a part of this. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure. And to all of you out there, thank you for listening in on us or watching in on us. If you're if you're on the the channel, we're providing content, new content all the time. Please watch out for any new information that comes out, new initiatives that come out. Um, and if you've got any questions, then feel free to just drop us uh, a message or a line or a DM or whatever it may well be. Got anything you want us to cover, any content you think might be good for the channel uh, that you'd like to hear us go in, into, or maybe uh, something that we've already discussed and you want us to go in a little bit more depth, then please feel free to get in contact with us and let us know. This is how we get better at what we do, guys, as we've been talking about for the past hour or so. So thank you all and look after yourselves and please feel free to subscribe. So thank you all. Thank you all very much. Thank you for listening to the Rosewire podcast. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye.